This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Let's talk about microdosing. You know that feeling when your body and mind are really at peace, like after a workout or a nice long shower, where you've relaxed, you're focused, and a little energized? It feels just right, like you're in the zone. Well, microdose can help you not only get into that zone easier, but stay there longer. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. I absolutely love how helpful these gummies are. For me, half a microdose gummy during the day helps me really stay centered and really fresh as I get everything done on my list. And they really help me relax in the evenings as well and just be present and in the moment instead of worrying about things from the day or what I have to do tomorrow. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com, promo code MinaAF for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com, promo code MinaAF. I'm Mina Starziak-Hawk, and this is Mina AF, where I answer all of your questions and you can ask me anything. Can we talk about money? Can you still breastfeed with implants? You're both boss moms, and I'd love to know the story of how you met. Literally anything any of you want to hear. Listen as we build a community and get to know each other better. All right. I am super excited, you guys, because on today's episode of Mina AF, we have Robin Hopkins, who is an actress, a writer, a producer, a former stand-up comedian, which I love, uh, very excited about that, and host of Podcast While Adjusting. And uh, we are both under the edit audio umbrella, and I think the powers that be just thought, like, they're going to hit it off like you know, two peas in a pod. <laughs> I'm very excited. I feel like it's going to be a runaway success. Oh, my God. Well, I feel like you need to drop the bar about, like, 10 <laughs> feet right now. Like, now I'm like, I don't know. It, it doesn't get better than that. We better We're just, just going to go. Okay, you guys. Thanks for my time. That, that's that been my time. Sorry if the episode sucks. Uh, it's probably not <laughs> going to. But so th- you are actually rolling into season two of your podcast, which is very exciting. I got to listen to a couple episodes, and I was particularly moved by the one about uh, code switching. I didn't know that's what that was called. Oh, yeah. But the the dude you were talking to specifically mentioned these guys in the construction field and how they were talking about yes. how the women were only good for admin. And I was like, those sons of... <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You're like, that is not true. That is my career. Yes. Because I feel like the men are good for nothing, not even admin or building houses. <laughs> but I digress. I could go down the rabbit hole there. I would love if you would just start, how did you get started in your podcast? what your background is, what inspired you, uh, you know, that whole creation story. I mean, I started it. Nobody asked me to. I was just like, I'm doing this. I don't care if anyone wants it or I not. I talk a lot without yeah. people asking. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you did you, you don't, you didn't want my opinion? Oh, that, well, I already gave it. It's too late. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's, you know, I, as you said, I started off as a stand-up. Like, I've always been a creator. And I've always been like, and by the way, I just about took it back to my birth in upstate New York. I was born a tiny white baby in upstate New York. I also, and you're a, what, you're a Leo? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, yep. <laughs> it's like so, it's so sad. It, it's 
it's like so on no, you know, it's like right on the nose. But so, you know, I always had a day job. Like I, I would always produce all my work, you know, because I had this acting teacher in this conservatory I did who was like, she was always like, actors are the dregs of the art community. And then she was like this tiny little woman and she would smack her chest. And I was always like, oh my God, you're going to like, you're going to hurt yourself. And, mm-hmm. and so I always, I took her words to heart and I just, I was like, if, if I can't get booked in something, I'm just going to, I'm going to rent the theater. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to produce my own work. And at the same time I was speaking of admin, I was like, that was my day job. And yeah. to me, like admin is producing another person. So I, I yeah. you know, I, I, I was just like a producer across the board. And what happened over time is my boss kept like going up the ranks because he was like really this amazing special dude. And I just kind of, you know, climbed on his back and was like, let's make more money. Yeah. And um, so I had this big area. It you, This was when I was at VH1 and I had this couch. And what started to happen is every 20 something just would like throughout my day would just come like plop themselves on the couch and just start wandering through all the, th- the problems in their life. And it was usually like, it would start with like, ah, oh, I don't know. It's benefit choice time. I don't know what to do. And I'd be like, all right, well, give me your social. Let's walk through this, you know? And then yeah. it would move into, you know, like, oh, I just, does he like me? And I'd be like, he's not calling you. He does not like you. No, it's not, no. it's not happening. He's not that into He just isn't. <laughs> he isn't. There's a reason that book was written. And it just, it became this thing. And so when, when I, I finished the previous podcast I had been hosting, I was like, I, I, I wanted to write a book. And, and like this, the title just popped in my head, shit I learned from my crappy childhood. And I was like, and then I'm like, and I got to build a podcast around. And then it just became like, I'm going to do all the things. Like, again, like mm-hmm. no one asked me to, but I was like, I am in this space. I now have a yeah. sub stack. So it sounds like you were kind of always the one that people just happened upon and became their therapist, kind of their life guide. Yeah. I mean, it, what's interesting is I think with a lot of like self-help work, as I've gotten older, what I discovered was when I was in my 20s and 30s, like I was really famous for, we called it getting you on the ropes. So we would go out for like, you know, 27 cocktails and like by the third cocktail, I was like, let's talk about your mom. Like I was like, yeah. we're getting in there. And and what I realized though, as I've gotten older is at that time, it wasn't a choice for me. I think I was just really uncomfortable with anyone's like trauma or anyone like not being in a good place. And so I would just get in there and just bulldoze. And mm-hmm. and like I said, it wasn't a choice. Are you a, are you a fixer? Yes. Okay, I am too. Super helpful, but also super annoying to some people. Yeah. Well, especially if you didn't ask for it. Which are the ones you want to help the most because they don't right. even know they need it. <laughs> right. But you, like you have to be, when it comes to I think self-help work, you have to want to generate it. You know, yeah. it's like that whole lead a horse to water business or- yeah. You know, you can't like force someone into a rehab or a 12 step or what you like, they have to be ready and want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so like, as I've gotten, you know, gotten my shit together more, I think that I, I can pick and choose when I do it now. And what's so great about the well-adjusting podcast is people are coming to us with a question. You know, I'm not just like, you know, we're three drinks in and I think you need to hear this about your life anymore. It's like you're coming and you're saying, I'm like, okay, well, let's, from a friend's perspective, from like a a person who's kind of lived through this, let's like pick it apart and like, let's see what's in there. And like, let's see what your barriers are to getting the thing that you want or why you are where you are. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever say that I'm going to fix you, but what I want to provide is maybe some insight so that then you can take that next step. Yeah, exactly. That To get some help. I love that. 
I don't know the details of your crappy childhood. Um, <laughs> I too had a crappy childhood and, and there's so many different versions. Yeah. And I think comparatively, I'm like, oh, my parents didn't beat me. It wasn't right, that bad. Right. But there are, I, as I've gotten older too, I'm 38 now, I've learned that you know, there are so many amazing kinds of generational trauma that don't have to involve physical abuse yeah, and that really can kind of have uh, those long lasting effects. And I don't know about you, but you know, my favorite thing to say is I wouldn't change anything because I wouldn't be who I am today. <laughs> I wouldn't be who I am today. Like exactly. I have the choice. Exactly. Hey. So when was kind of like the moment for you there were probably a couple for me where I had these like realizations, like chunks of them about like, oh, this is why I do this. And like the mm -hmm. awareness and that the impact your childhood had on how you were acting out your adult life. Yeah. I mean, it was really ongoing for me. I, you know, I like there's been like ground shifts as, you know, as pieces have fallen into place. But like for me, I I I left my my house when I was I turned 17 2 weeks before I went to college. Like I did my junior and senior year of high school at the same time cuz I wanted out so badly. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that at the time I just was like I don't like it here. Yeah. And when I got to college there was this real I had this roommate she's still one of my very best friends to this day. She's like my sister. I saw her family, you know, and they just, they talked about politics and they like spoke Spanish and her dad worked for the government. And I was just like, and you know, my mom was just like with the platinum blonde hair, like smoking her cigarette <laughs> and she's a little bit drunk. And she was like pulling up in her crappy, like $5,000 car. And I'm in a private, you know, college that's like all these wealthy people. And I was just like, oh, it's not like this at Everywhere, other people's yeah. house. And, and, and then I was able to remember like being really young and being like, I just want to live at the Marinas's house mm -hmm. or my, want my, my teacher, Miss Sincata, like shout out to my sixth grade teacher. She likes everything I do on Facebook. Aww. I still, I still love the woman, love but it. like, I just, I was like, I want her to be my mom. Like I had all those moments, yeah. but I wasn't able to process her, understand why, because it was too much. Yeah. So you know, like, so I, I feel like that's how it's happened to me or for me is I get into these different situations or I'm introduced to something and then I go, oh, I don't have to live like that. Yeah. Like yeah. I call them like light bulb moments mm -hmm. because they're just like something like the moment I heard someone say I could do my junior and senior year at the same time, I was like, that's what? a thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm doing that. Yeah. Like it was just, you know, so it's like, I've always been just this like kind of a seeker as well as a fixer. I'm all mm -hmm. the errs you know, of just, of, of trying to fix or repair, like what happened? Yeah. So what is your life situation, kids, partner, that? Yeah. I have a wife and I have two kids. My kids are mm -hmm. about to be 12 and 14. Oh goodness. Are they boys or girls? Uh, my daughter's 14 and my son is 12. Is she amazing or horrible yet? She's still amazing. That's so great. My little sister never became horrible. She just didn't. I just like, I hope to God that's the thing. I hope. My two and a half year old Charlotte is batshit crazy. <laughs> and I think she's going to stay that way. That's my son too, by the way. I love you, you know. Henry. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's like, she'll give me like the half, half closed dead eyes when she doesn't like what I'm saying, mm -hmm. but she is not. She like she has a birthday party coming up and she wants to take like a few friends to the drive-in in Brooklyn. And oh I was like, gosh. I know, I was like, I I could take you. I said, but just so you know, like I have to be there. I was like, because I've got to drive the car. She's like, Mama, I'm not like embarrassed of you. I don't understand. Oh and I was gosh. just like, okay. I was like, but if you do, I was like, I could go 
I don't know, I could go walk around or something. You're living every mother of a 14-year-old girl's dreams with that one <laughs> sentence right there. Mama, I'm not embarrassed of you. But it was like the tone, though. Mama. Mama. But she is definitely in the I know everything phase. Yeah. Like, we're definitely there. Like, okay. I'm stupid and I don't know how to do things. And I'm like, you know, who taught you how to use the computer? Wildly face? unstylish, I'm yeah. sure. Well, I mean, I am a lesbian. So, <laughs> I mean, I am in a bad t-shirt as we speak. <laughs> I have a sports bra that sticks out. And I don't know whose giant plaid shirt this is. I think I actually bought it. Um, so, Well, you're, uh, you're pulling it off. So that's all that so much. It's the ring light. So my next question is then, did you marry your parents? So, no. What's interesting? Congratulations. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, for a long time, I was, like, really making some bad choices. Like, I just, like, if anyone showed up and just showed a little bit of interest and they were really unhealthy, I was like, well, that'll work. Yeah. I was like, you know, it's like I chose, like, I did choose my mom a lot. Like, mm-hmm. because my mom and I were, like, really just, like, had this – my sister always, like, th- talks about the, the how, like, when she would come over, my mom would – like, like slam the door and like yelling at me, like just screaming. And then I would open the door and I'd be like, and then I would slam the door and then she would come and she'd be like, don't you slam that door. And then she would slam the door. And my sister would be like, why is it always like this? (laughs) Poor thing. So I definitely uh, had some hostile relationships. I had a whole like straight girl thing, like the most unavailable person in the history of man for a a gay woman is that. And that was just not so great. So I did all that. But then it's like I hit like another one of those plateaus where I feel like I did just enough work for Mary to show up, mm-hmm. you know, and then then the real work actually begins because like long term, I mean, you're, you're married, like long term relationships are hard. It is. It's tough. And it's I don't think anybody tough. really talks about that or they do, but it's more like just bitching about he doesn't put the sponge away kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's much deeper than the sponge. It's, Always. you know, the I want you to want to, and I want it to be equal, and you don't appreciate what I do. Uh, you know, it's 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 definitely ongoing. Yeah. So you and Mary have been together for how long? 20 years. Oh, my gosh. Congratulations again. Thank you. I know. I, I can't believe we're pulling it off, and we still yeah. work out of the same apartment and generally generally pretty nice to each other. It's like, that's a win. Oh, COVID broke a lot of people too, being together that much. So. Well, I had to get, I had to get a WeWork uh, subscription because I was like, I gotta, like, I can't, I, I, I sleep in this bedroom. I work in this bedroom. It's too much. Yeah. So a couple of days a week I get out of here and that's like, whereas Mary's the, the opposite of me, like Mary's just like a kinder, nicer person than I ever will be. And she she could just work out of my son's bedroom forever and not leave the house. Like she's very indoorsy. Yeah. Oh. I am not. So when, when you guys met, did you have those conversations about, okay, we would like to have kids. Um, I'm also interested in what way you arrived at children. Yeah. But- this is my parenting style. This is mine. These are my generational traumas that I'm trying not to bring to my parenting style. Was it an active conversation or is was it kind of, you know, <laughs> as as thing, oh, we got a kid. Let's figure this out. I'm going to have to have Mary listen to this. Um, it was Because we always joke about how Mary was like, we're like just broken enough to not understand how broken I was. So mm-hmm. like, you know, like I said, I did the work, she showed up, but like, I, I was also like actively trying to break it. Like it yeah. was like, you know, we've gone a date and then I would just like not talk. And she, and Mary was so naive. And so just like, she grew up in a house where just no one talked. Uh, I mean, they talked about surface things, but no one talked. Yeah. And she always says like, she was raised like, you know, a dog in the backyard. It was like, just go out there and play. Like there was no light on her. There was no attention on her. 
Mm-hmm. And so you could see how we'd be drawn to one another. Yeah. And but so she would, if I didn't talk, she would just be like, she doesn't feel like talking right now. Like she had like no idea that I was just like, oh, I don't know if I could do this. And it wasn't her. It was all me. You yeah. know, like I was just trying to, it was like someone good and right was showing up and I did not know what to do with that. Yeah. Um, so we did end up having like lots and lots of conversations and about kids. Like I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. Which in hindsight, I feel like once you're a parent, you're like, what the fuck was I like, who the hell was I thinking? Like, I can handle this. Like, it is so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. And like, no, again, nobody says how hard it is. Yeah. Well, Until and after if you, you do have the say kids. how hard it is, then other people are like, well, th- then you just get judged for saying it's hard. They're like, right? what did you think you were getting into? I'm like, yeah, no, I want it. It still sucks. I still love them. <laughs> I, I still not, love them. You know, it doesn't mean I don't love them, but I'm just acknowledging yeah. how hard it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I she never she just like never saw a future for herself in the way that, you know, like as like she's a just a little bit older than me, but at that time there wasn't a lot of gay representation and so she just she was like I'll be like Mary Tyler Moore. I'll be she's like I'll just be divorced, but like without the marriage. Like that's kind of just like what she thought her life would be. And so when we got together, I was all like, I'm going to have kids. I'm meant to be a mom, which I mean, I- I'm sure my kids would be like, no, you weren't. No, you're not. Same um, <laughs> but, you know, so we had like a really like conversation and like on our like fourth or fifth date, she was like, so guess what? I went to the gynecologist and she said, if if I want to have kids, I, I probably could, but I'd probably have to get going. And I said, but I said, but you still haven't answered the question. Do you want to have kids? And she was like, oh. But I thought I answered the question. Like she just was so like for her to like look at herself. So I I came to her one day and said, what I want you to do is I want you to go off and take, you know, take a couple weeks, take however much time this takes, but you know, like don't take two years Mm -hmm. and, and think about your life with kids and think about your life without kids and then come back to me and like, let's see what it is you want to do. Cause I was all like, I'm not going to bully you into having kids. Meanwhile, of course I was gonna. Because then when it's hard, it they're your kids. My husband does that with our children and our dog. Last night he said, are you going to feed your dog? I'm like, oh, he's my dog? Okay. We didn't make this decision together. Even worse when you do it with the kids. Exactly. Exactly. Because I did bully him into the dog. 100%. I love that you're a bullier too. I love it. Yeah. Um, so she came back like within a couple days and she was like, I, I want to do it. And, you know, initially we were going to do, we were like all really enamored with the, the the reciprocal IVF, which is, would have been, we would have harvested, I don't know if that's the right word, but I always say harvested. I know when I did IVF, I would call it going to the harvest. And they're like, can you please stop saying that? (laughs) And we're like, take them out of my hopper and put them in Mary's hopper. Like, and and we were going to do that. Is is that so you like, don't know which egg? No, you're always, you're always going to know. Cause she was, we we were just like my, her eggs are going to be dusty. We would use mine, but she would carry. Okay. So it would like we were just so You enamored. got the really good end of that deal. Right? Well, I it didn't love that. it didn't end up didn't happening. Didn't shake out that way. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. because we were like, oh, the kid will be like my, you know, like the blueprints from me, my genetics, but it will literally be made from her bones. Like that's yeah. the coolest. But then <laughs> we got to the point, we, you know, we're, we're in the, for the fertility office, we're doing all the things. And we got to the point where they gave us all the prescription forms, which you know, because you've done this. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at them all. And she goes, I can't help but wondering, you know, because we really only had the money to do it like a couple of times. If it didn't work, we were just going to clean out our savings. And that was going to be very cost prohibitive. Yeah. And, and she goes, I can't help but wondering if we're doing this like the hardest possible way. 
and we were both just sitting there and I was and I, and she said and just I have wonder have a couple shots and have sex yeah. with a with a dude? Yeah, but yeah. Eh, <laughs> probably not. <Nope>. Um <laughs> she was just like I you know, I just think I might be doing this because I'm afraid I'm going to feel left out. Oh. And that was like a really big thing for her. And so at that moment we just switched and I we were like, "All right, well, We'll just go and we'll do IUI where they just like stick it in there and me. And and that worked. Yeah. I was I turned out to be like fertile myrtle. I got pregnant the very first time. I it didn't stick that one. I had a miscarriage, but then like two or three more times after that, like both kids, it was like four the third or fourth time and I got pregnant. Oh, okay. For okay. just IUI, like unmedicated, yeah. just like stick it in there. Stick yeah, some, you just gotta get it in the right place. Popsicle stuff in there and yeah. Yeah. That worked out well then. We've really gone on a ride already, Mina. I mean, this yeah, is this has been so we're gonna I'm gonna jump into money then because okay. I know that's a big topic on your show um and for relationships. And yeah. I think a lot of people don't talk about it yep. up front because it seems it just seems awkward. Like seems aggressive. Like, hey, date three, do you wanna have kids? How do you spend money? Is it gonna be your account, my account, and our account? Are we gonna share everything? I feel like once you get to a certain age, you kind of do yeah. that. You have that checklist. But I know for me, it is a hot button topic yep. because while my I didn't really have the like the emotional support, I had immense financial support for my dad, which I, you know, think for him for every day. He, you know, got my car, he paid for my college. Yep. I worked forever, but I worked because I wanted my financial independence because the money came yeah. with strings and yep. control. And I carried that into my adult life. Or they say you take the you take the money, you take the shit. Yes, exactly. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. So for me, from a very young age, getting financial independence and then maintaining it was very important. And going into my relationship with Steve, it's a regular conversation. And we've been together 10 years and married seven, going back and reminding him because he takes he takes everything very personal and very to heart, yeah. which is, is, is more normal than I think me, who I can put it in all these little compartmentalized boxes and not think it twice about it. Yeah. But when we talk about money, it's a reflective upon me not trusting him. And it's just so far from that. It's like all the baggage. Yeah. It's my own baggage. It's my own need for control and independence. And even deeper than that, it's my need to not let anybody – like I don't ever want to have to rely on anyone. Because yep. when I saw my parents get divorced – my mom did not have the finances that my dad did, and there were a lot of layers to it, but a big one is who can fight the hardest, and that yeah. usually takes money and a lawyer. Yep. So I was like, I'm going to be ready. I'm never going to be in that position, and it's tough. Sign this it's prenup. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's very tough. Yeah. It, that's so interesting. It's like – and again, you can see the generational the generational effect 
And it like I think that happens so much in money and people don't talk about it. That's why mm-hmm. I it's one of my those are always my favorite episodes because it's like really a cross of like life, life tips and getting into your business, which I think is mm-hmm. amazing and fun. But yeah. I, you know, what's interesting in my relationship is there's really no drama around money because Mary just cedes all control to me. She knows I'm good with money and she knows, and she's just like, and when I try to, I try, I'm very much about transparency. So I'm always like, I sent her these long emails, like I moved this money here. I did this. And she's always like, that's man talk. And like, and then I'm like, I'm like, baby, no, but for real, you have to read the things I'm sending. And she's like, okay, I'll read it. But yeah. the, the, the trauma where it lands with me is for me personally, yeah. like I am going through it with money in my head because money has become safety yeah. because I was not like, like my parents got divorced at, at, when I was 12 and I didn't know that they were living way beyond their means and they were in all this credit card debt. And then mm-hmm. my dad didn't really, there wasn't a lot of child support and he wasn't really involved at that time. We did like really repair things before he died. But, um, my mom made no money and we were, and I just saw her crying all the time about like, I can't get you that thing. I can't, you know, and, and at that age, at that like 12, 13 years old to see your parent just fall apart about money. Um, and to feel like there's no safety net, it felt very unsafe. Yeah. And so now, and what I've realized is that no amount of money I have in the bank, will I ever feel safe? I will always be like, oh, if we just maybe we just want them a little more if we get up over here and if we well, get this. Well, and I like would make a goal and I would hit it and I'd be like, no, no, that's not it. I need the, a new goal. The goalpost moves. Whatever. Yeah. The goalpost moves. Yeah. And that's and like I, I talked about that, like about how like the the most I had in my checking account at one point was like $400. And then that became the barrier. I could never go b- beneath 400. Yeah. And then it became a thousand and then it became 4,000. And it was like, it, these are the most random and arbitrary numbers, <laughs> but it was like, I cannot dip below that because I've had that now. And yeah. so I've had to really, like, I had to really look at money and it's something that I will have to look at always forever. Mm-hmm. Like, am I being insane? Are we okay? Am I being crazy about this? Is like, we're fine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, everything's okay. So I will always have to talk myself down the ledge, off the ledge. But the positive side of all that, you know, going back to like, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. And, like I've got a million like systems and things that I've built that are, that are simple. And maintain. It, yeah. Yeah. And, and they're not like when my, my friend who I, she was on our second episode of the, of the show, Aileen, she wanted to talk about budgeting and I helped her and I helped her enough so that she could get herself set up and she could see that what she was doing underneath it, that what the connection was for money for her, that mm-hmm. it was about whenever she felt bad, she was spending. It was almost like a, you know, and, and she just was constantly in debt, but had enough money. And yeah. so she's now started this like, I don't know, 13 week course. And I was like, that's the perfect example. Like we got you to the point where you recognized you needed real help. And then she mm-hmm. started a course, but yeah. that course, I looked at it. Cause she was like, what do you think of this? And I looked at it and it was like all the things that I just naturally learned to do on my own, you know, but just with support and with a course. So mm-hmm. like, I'm so proud of all the things that I've accomplished. And I think the upside is that anytime I get something, whether it be like when we bought this apartment, I feel such immense pride because of what I know of where I came from and like, and that it's all mine. 
And yeah. Mary's too. I'm not saying, you know, mine, Mary. Shout like, out, Mary. It's yours too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I built it. You, you yeah. know, it came and it showed up and it's beyond anything that, you know, that my, where I came from ever could have been. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's pride in it, but there's trauma in it. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting um, in in my financial conversation and my relationship is mine's this control thing from a very young age. Mm-hmm. My husband grew up in a very nice, calm, hardworking, um, you know, middle class, middle upper class family. What was family. that like? Good. I know. I'm like, uh, good for you. Oh, and then he came into mine. Like his his, his holidays <laughs> were like quiet and sweet. <laughs> and you watched other people open Christmas presents, and mine is a shit show. It was like chaos. And you have to eat the fastest and talk the loudest. And no one cares about what you did today, yesterday, or this month. They're not going to ask you those questions about yourself. Yeah. He's like, what is wrong with you people? And I'm like, do you want – We this is going to take a long time. You're like, time. how much time do you have? Yes. Uh, but he came from a situation where he had this, you know, very stable life. He got these new financial insecurities that he carried. Like, they they lost their home. I mean, they – they lost a lot. Oh, geez. So when we have these conversations about our house now, he still has – I'm like, okay, we've got this house. We've got real estate investments. We have one mortgage and you know, yeah. own multiple pro- – like we're good. We're Everything's good. Everything's good. Everything's good. But for him, in his head, it can all be good and then tomorrow it can be gone. Right. And it kind of plays into his need for everything to be perfect. So he's always been very tidy. Like he would vacuum the lines in his room and vacuum himself out. So he knew if anyone went in there and messed anything up. But even more so, like if we're not taking care of the house, doing the dishes, respecting this thing we built, that that's a slippery slope to everything's all gone. Yeah. Um, so it creates a lot of conversations, dynamics, at times arguments and disagreements. You're like, what? why are we fighting about this thing? Like, what are we even talking yeah. about? What are we really, really talking about? what it about? comes down to is money, yeah. which is tough for a lot of people. And when you said prenup, it's such a trigger for people because it's like a dirty word. Yeah. It's like a nasty word. And all it is is planning. Yeah. And well, my mom, my mom and I have had a roller coaster of relationships since I was about 10. Sometimes not speaking for years, sometimes wow. being dysfunctionally close. We're now somewhere in the middle. Um, The show has been super, super challenging for an already very dysfunctional dynamic. And the one thing that I did learn, I paralegaled for her and she did um, family law and criminal defense. And I saw all these family law cases, all these divorces, and people are the worst version of themselves in that situation. My parents were the worst version of themselves. My parents have been married collectively eight times. And so you divorced a lot yeah. and not one has been nice. Yeah. So for me, thinking about that prenup was, okay, hope for the best, plan for the worst, and do it when you're in a clear state. Yeah. So when you're when you're thinking about what's fair and real. What's fair and what's right and what's real. So coming up with this plan for if for whatever reason we don't work, you're an amazing dad. We're gonna have joint custody because that fucks your kids up. Yep. That fight, yep. like where they get pitted. So we're going to have joint custody barring me or you having alcoholism, drug addiction, yeah. abuse, you know, whatever like that. Um, we own two properties right now. You get this one, I get this one. Yep. You know, like just all those things. But even, I mean, a very, very difficult conversation up front and one that I think a lot of people just don't have yep. because 
they're worried it will break them before they've even started. Or you're going to see something in the person you don't like. Yeah. 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 Which I think is why it's even so much more important to have it. Like, even if you don't have a lot, having those conversations early on, I, I personally just think is super important. I think the conversation about sex, like what, what, how often do you expect sex? What, 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 yeah. how is this? What's our priority? Once we have kids, we all know that's going to change. How do we shift that? And the one things I think that Catholics do all right is that pre-Canish shenanigans. Wait, I don't know that. I just, what, they make you go talk to a priest or something like that, right? Well, it's, it's, so I was raised Obviously, Catholic. Obviously, religion was really big in my house. I yeah, was like, what is I was that? raised Catholic, but we were, we were, um, you know, after like fifth, sixth grade, we were priesters. So, you know, Christmas and Easter. Oh, okay. I was like, um, again, what? Is that a yeah. thing? I was like, priesters. <laughs> because I wasn't a practicing Catholic, I didn't do pre-Cana, but I kind of, like, I, I Googled pre-Cana questions and kind of, Steve and I kind of went through our own version, but it does bring up those difficult conversations. That's such a great idea though, to do that. It is. Do you want kids? How many kids? What if you can't have them biologically? How do you feel about adoption? How do you feel about money? You know, what do you, do you believe in spanking? Just like- <laughs> Yes. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my husband, not my children. Yeah. Only after dark. But yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. And I, I again, I, you know, kind of head in the sand. I don't know if, you know, other religions or, you know, if other groups do that. But I think it is super helpful because if you're Catholic, you're required. Yeah. You ain't got no choice. Yeah. Well, you're like touching on something I think that's really important. It's about the conversation and the communications and then what's underneath it. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you, how many people do you hear die without a will or don't set up or do the work and they're just like, I just don't want to think about it. And it's like you cannot think about it, but it's going to happen. Like you mm -hmm. cannot think about what's going to happen when we have children, but it is going to change your relationship. And so yeah. I, I just think there there needs to be this openness or, I mean, there doesn't need to be. I guess I should say, if you want it to work, if you want to stay together, like there has to be an openness to continuously work on the relationship. And and I feel the same way about myself. Like I always say, like, I don't think I'll ever be fixed. Don't, you're never healed. You, you no. have to make, like at some point I made a commitment that I will always be working on myself. And it, mm -hmm. in the beginning, I was really exhausted by that. But then it was like, <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, am I ever going to get this shit together? But then it's like, isn't it so much more exhausting when you avoid things? Yeah. You know, or isn't it so much more work? Like, like going back to your example of you don't talk about the kid thing. Like, well, then you're married and then maybe you're opposing. There is no compromise on kids. You mm -hmm. either, we, one person's going to win or one person's going to lose. They're coming or they're not. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's resentment if, they do or if they don't, if you're not on the same page. Yeah. And it's better to know that before. Like, I want to know that the person that I'm with is is committed to, to, to work because it's mm -hmm. like every new phase, like, you know, like coming out of COVID has me starting to think about, I mean, it's way down the road, but like, what would retirement look like for us? Yeah. And there was yeah. like scary things that happened because <laughs> poor Mary, um, Mary, <laughs> Mary was like, she was on, she, she works in advertising and she at the time was working on Broadway advertising. So she was obviously immediately furloughed because during COVID and yeah, Broadway. Yeah. And she was just yeah. like, well, I'm living my, my finest life. Like she was, she embraced Xbox and was playing NBA 2K like 24 seven while I was like, you know, doing podcasts. And I was just like, is this, is this, is this our future? Like, this isn't, you're going to leave the house. Right. And it started a really big conversation for us about like, well, what is that going to look like? And what is that going to, what are we going to live into? Mm -hmm. The 
fear is always present and the planning has to be present. Like those two things, you got to deal with the fear and still communicate and and plan. Yeah, exactly. What do you think, you know, now that you've been, you're going into season two of the podcast, it sounds like, uh, you know, acting as a non-therapist therapist therapist for (laughs) a couple decades now, what has become like the most rewarding part where you're like, yeah, this is doing something I'm going to keep doing this yeah. because this is what is giving me purpose. I just I I love the conversations. Like I just I'm not interested in talking to people about the weather or or you know, sports or whatever. Like I want to talk to you about like real shit. And so yeah. like the conversations in and of themselves is is one of the biggest thing. Like every time I'm always like that was like one of our best conversations. Like I say that every time. Yeah. But Steph, the 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 producer, she produced, I call her producer Steph on the show. She she's the CEO of Edit Audio and she pops in as like my Gelman for for people who uh remember Gelman on uh, the Regis show. But like she pops in look at <laughs> no, it. Like, not it's, me it's like a over my head. Really old reference. Um but <laughs> she pops in as producer Steph and like and and chimes in and it's she's such a wonderful addition to the show. But the two of us did uh, where are they now at the end of season one? And, mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of guests from the season sent us voice memos about how they were doing since we had had the conversations. And like a whole bunch of people started therapy. A whole bunch of people, you know, had just had all this growth. Therapy's the best. Right? The Everyone best. should, it should be free and everybody should be doing it. it. Should. You know, and there was, but there was even one person who called in and was just like, well, and, and she literally sounded like this. She was like, you know, um, I'm doing okay. It's, you know, it's, it's a fight. And, you know, and I was like, but that's okay too. Yeah. Cause you're acknowledging where you are. And that episode was one of my favorites because we really saw what the conversations the did impact, for some people. Yeah. yeah. So it's just been, it's, it's, it's just, I, I'm like excited. I get to do it that people yeah. are coming to me and want to hear anything I have to say or want to, you know, open it up and just kind of yeah. get in there and see what's happening. I could not agree more. And that's why kind of why I started mm-hmm. Mina AF. The whole reason was having more time to talk about those things. Yeah. And literally the only reason is because of all the messages I got on social media yeah. saying, thanks for talking about this. I didn't know this. Now I know this. Yep. I was just doing a home show in um, Louisville and a mom who was there with her daughter uh, during like the Q&A, she was like, I just want to thank you so much because I listened to your secondary infertility episode and my daughter was going is going through that. And even though she's explained it to me, I didn't get it. Yes. And when I listened to your episode, because two people can be saying the exact same things, but like, you know, if it's your husband, partner, yep. wife, it's like, wah, wah, yep. wah, 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 and then it's someone <laughs> else and you're like, oh my God. And that other person's like, that's what I said. I've been telling you that for 20 years. <laughs> sometimes you just need a fresh voice. Yeah. So, um, well, and sometimes I think that, like you said, there's that distance, but you might be able to just say it a different way. Yeah. And there's so many conversations. Like, I think we've touched on money. We've touched on like, all, you know, all these things that people don't talk about. You know, like mm-hmm. when, when I was pregnant, I was always walking around talking about how much I hated pregnancy. And I- It's the worst. It's so, su- it's so sucky. And so ev- sucky. like so many people would look at me like I just said I have a devil baby inside me. Yeah. It's the miracle uh, of birth. You're like, no, birth off. sucks. Carrying a baby sucks. No, don't pretend I didn't have to push one out. I'm Mine glow. got cut out. The glow of pregnancy. Like, yeah, you guys, and maybe, maybe, no judgment to those women who are like, I love being pregnant. Good for you. Maybe there is something about it that they love. 
I did not find that. I did not. And don't be a butthole to me because I didn't find that. Exactly. And I just don't know why. And there's this pressure on moms. Like I, there was this, this when my daughter was first in daycare. So we're talking like a couple, you know, months old or whatever, like five, six months old. You put her in daycare. I sure did, bitch. Sure oh, did. And I, you're the worst. Well, and there was in the elevator with this lady. And I... I like took some deep breath and I was like, oh, and she goes, yeah, long day or something. I said, yeah, I said, Tell me. I said, I can't wait for a glass of wine or something like that. And then she said, I will never forget it. She said, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. She goes, I've never felt like that, but I know what you mean. And I was like, you bitch, like why? Like, first of all, you're a bold faced liar. There's no way yeah. you've got a kid and you never felt exhausted or beaten up or like, what in the hell did I just do? Uh-uh. Or I, I need to get away from my child. There's no way you never felt no. like that. But even if I felt that, like that last night like seven times. Right? So, like, but let's just say there's some miracle she's never felt that way. Why would you Why ever need to make me feel less than? Like, yeah. what did you just win? And I, and I was, and I've never forgotten that. Women are so nasty. Sometimes they really are. And it's like, so where's nasty. the sisterhood? You know, like, yeah. where are we? And I'm not like uber feminist burning my no. bra, but like, I just, I think in general, a lot of people, particularly in this, you know, social media world, like do not feel like a rising tide floats all boats. Yeah. If I give you any part of me, any support, and yep. then there will be less of me and more of you, which is just not the way it works. It's not. And you know what's so funny is because one of the other things we talk about on Well Adjusting is the workplace. And again, I'm referencing that boss that I, you know, I got on his back, not in a dirty way, but just a fun way. <laughs> and, you know, he had a management style. I didn't realize because I worked for him for like 19 years and I didn't realize how exceptional he was. I thought that everybody managed this way, but he was always like, if I empower the people beneath me, um, I look better as a manager. And he yeah. he was one of the first people I ever heard to talk about, you know, why diversity mattered in the workplace because he was like, I could hire 27, you know, white guys who look just like me, have the same opinions. He said, I'll never be challenged. I will, like, we won't have new and diverse content. We won't have interesting, you know, like I should be challenged. And mm-hmm. he would let anyone argue with him. And if if they won the argument and they convinced him, he'd be like, okay, run with that. Yeah. And like so many more people- he was an a, yeah. A's A's look to hire A's, B's hire C's. Yep. Because Ooh, that's B's good. I love don't that. want to look. It's I, I don't know where I heard it. I love it. But it is good. Yeah. B's don't, they don't want people better than them. Yep. They want to keep people below them. And then, you know, nothing gets better. And that's where you develop those toxic work environments. Yeah. And I am a terrible people manager. I'm like, why did you do that? That's stupid. Why didn't you do it this way? I will just do it myself. And <laughs> I eventually invested in myself and did this business uh, consulting program that was like six months. I did an episode on it. Yeah. And it was it was therapy. Yeah. That's what it was. It was incredible business therapy. Well, because you bring yourself to your work. Yeah. You are the same so person. Much. Like if you have, if you're a controlling, you know, people pleaser or whatever you are, you're going to be that at work too. Oh my God. I'm such a control freak. And I'm a I love have, it as well. Yeah. Just a yes, little bit. So much. I, I say it like 10 times a day. My other slogan is, my need for immediacy is not shared by the general public. My need for immediacy. That's is such not a good affirmation. <laughs> but I, it's still my need. Yeah, it's still my need. So I explain that to people. When I ask you for something, I mean now. Yeah. Not put it in your queue for three days from now. Well, that's um, why is, buy whens are amazing. Uh, like oh, I, yes. I'm, I'm always giving a buy when. 
Yes. And it, it it's good. not for you, like, especially as a producer, like I produce this and I host this other podcast called Dear Headspace with Headspace. And I'm always like, I would like this by end of day Wednesday. And if, if mm-hmm. you can't make that, you got then it's on you, you to let me it. know. It, because because I am building my schedule based on these yeah. expectations. And I, it, so it is arbitrary, but it's also not. I can't move forward. It's also shocking how many people will not say anything if they can't do that. Shocking to me, I which know. is challenging as or a manager. Or the no reply on an email. Yeah. Just so reply. So we, uh, we're interviewing a new manager for my brick and mortar store here yesterday. And I'm like the third person that comes in. The current manager, then Finley, who is my everything. She's my chief of staff. Yeah. We have four employees. She just does everything. So she comes in in the office. She's like, we like this girl. Come meet her. She's great. And I was like, just so you know, when I come in the store, these girls that have known me as long as the store has been open, see me coming in and like my pajamas, they've probably, I've probably pooped my pants at the store. <laughs> they do not feel comfortable telling me no because X, Y, Z. If I'm like, hey, the shirts aren't stocked as they should be, like do that. And they're like, okay. And then I leave and I come back two hours later and the shirts aren't still aren't stocked because I didn't say, I didn't say do it now or they didn't say I'm actually doing this. Like, can I do it by right. then or whatever it is. They say nothing. They just say yes and nod. And so I told this girl yesterday, I, I explained that to her. I was like, if I come in and ask you to do something or suggest something, please say words back to me other than yes or no. Yeah. If it's yes, I can get that done by the end of the day today. Would it or, be okay if I prioritize this other thing first? Yeah, it's yeah. just, and then I'm the asshole because I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. You said yes. Yeah. So no, but it's like, that's again, like communication is underneath all of it. Like I'm okay if you like, I'm, I'm an actor also. And like, I don't, it's just no all the time, but the no is usually just a slow fade and no response. And you're just like, I just wish there was a world where people just said like, I'm sorry, we're going in another direction. Just say that to me. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just recently had something where I was like, it was like a hosting gig. And it was like, I was, we were really far along in the conversation and then radio silence. And I'm just like, like, I don't know if you, if you're uncomfortable. I don't know if you think you're going to hurt my feelings, but what you did, the impact of your actions by not like being communicative was I was holding hope for possibility for way longer than I should have. And that's mean. That's mean. It's just not. It's mean in work. It's mean in relationships. But we're all You got to say the hard things. Again, I think, you know, you're, do you mind me asking how old you are? 52. 52. Okay. So I'm very uncomfortable with that, which is why I was Okay, great. Great. (laughs) No, it's just one of those things. It's like, it's like, you got to get used to it. Like the aging No, I feel like when I turn 40, I don't feel weird about it, but I'm going to feel like I don't feel 40 other than I'm super I still feel 13 in a lot of ways. But I feel like regardless of the age gap growing up, it was one of the things that we were trained to do is you're, it's a, it's a holiday smile, hug, weird aunt Susan, (laughs) say you like the thing and shut up. Please. And thank you. And then go be quiet and and get out of the house. Yes. Cause we're and so as adults, we're all so uncomfortable with boundaries and hurting people's feelings and being offensive. And there's a way to do all those things. Like, you know, the conversation with the kids now about consent and, and oh my God, okay, we're at, we're, and I've learned so much from my sister-in-law because she is, she does not give an F and I love it so much. I didn't, I didn't understand it when we were younger because we went to high school together. Yeah. And I'm like, this girl's a bitch, <laughs> but I get it as we've gotten older and it's such a blessing 
to be able to communicate directly and not feel guilt for it. Yeah. So she'll and with her kids too, she's like, um, no, if if my kids don't want to give you a hug, they they aren't gonna be like, no, F you, I don't want to touch you. You'd be like, not right now, maybe later, yeah. fist bum. Yeah. There's a way to say no or break up with someone or say you're not hired without being an a-hole. There is. And, and still being direct. And by the way, but you're also getting at what, again, what's underneath it. So yeah. like for me, I grew up in a house, like an alcoholic parent, like so crazy shit would happen. And then the next day we would never talk Be about fun. it. Yeah. It would mm-hmm. like, it never happened. You know, yeah. it's like, and that sets up a dynamic where your communications are all fucked up. And so, and it's why talking about things has become so important to me now. So like with my kids, like I, I did this dumb thing the other day where I thought my son, like they changed the, it was like the special school, this like really amazing school. My daughter had tested to get in, like she met the criteria and they changed the criteria. And I told him he was going to get to test. And then I looked and he like, and they upped it like significantly and he missed it by like a point. And then he started sobbing because well, also I had promised him gaming for the, the 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 prep, and I was like, "Are you crying about the gaming or the thing?" And he was like, "Both." And then oh. I was just like, "And so I I apologized. I came, and then I came out later, and I just said, I just have to tell you. I said that was uh, that was really not smart of me, and I'm very sorry. And I I'm sorry if I upset you. And he was like, "That's okay." And I was like, "Take an extra hour tonight of gaming." And I said, "And it's not because I said it's just I said you can have it because I made a mistake, and I I don't want you to feel bad and sit in this." And, and there's, there's so much power in apologizing to your kids Mm -hmm. and cleaning things up and, and standing for like uh, teaching them communications and giving them the space to like, I'll say you can challenge me on this or this one is no, you cannot. Yeah. Because I want them to go out in the world and feel confident in their voice and feel like, because it's so many people don't have it. They, they, yeah, yeah, we'll put the t-shirts in there and then they don't. Yeah. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have different stressors, some big, some small, that we carry around and that really weigh us down. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to have a negative effect on us. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. For me, therapy has been so helpful, really learning those positive coping skills and to be the best version of myself. I know myself better and how to set the right boundaries that really work for me. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, then give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, and it's entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash minaaf today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina A-F. I have a question because something that is a regular conversation inside my brain, which is a crazy place, is this idea of, is this reasonable or am I overcorrecting? Because mm. I also grew up in, in, in a similar environment and whatever it was that happened, then it didn't ever happen. Yeah. And which is so damaging. This is this is this is silly, but you know, I I told you last night my husband was annoyed about something. He was like, "Did you feed the dog dinner?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Did you?" <laughs> and then this morning, like we were shitty with each other. Yeah, we like yeah. were short and blah blah blah. And and this morning, it's like, 
hey, babe, good morning. And we're like, you know, three kisses because that means I love you. And I'm like, in my head, it's the pattern. This is the pattern. We can't have this pattern. And is that reasonable or am I overcorrecting because that's a normal thing to move on from? And it's about everything, about everything for me. And I don't know the answer. I feel like often the answer is yes to both. Yeah. Like, you know, I think there's I'm overcorrecting and you should talk about it. Like there's a real sensitivity. You know, I've started, um, I'm doing the artist way right now. And it's like, it's, I mean, we, I'm doing it with three of my gal pals, like my best friends and, and we have like a weekly chat and there's like a journaling component that's every day and that that I've been doing now for like six weeks. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that we're very similar in that we (laughs) 99.9% of the time, we know what we want, when we want, how we want it. Um, so I get very thrown when I don't know like when I don't know how I feel about something. And mm-hmm. I found that slowing things down, like with journaling has really allowed me to be like, all right, well, what am I really doing here? You know, yeah. like, like, am I, like, I had this whole thing with my daughter just got into this high school and I was like, I, I lost my mind in eight hours. It's like a great school. And I all of a sudden was like, I had decided school wasn't good enough. I don't know what's going to happen. And then I was having all these feelings. And I turned to my wife and I said, I, I really don't, know how to feel right now. And it was like, for me to even say that was a very big thing because mm-hmm. I'll just fake it till I make it even, you know, I'll just be like yeah. this, this and to slow things down and to try to find that line of, am I overcorrecting or is this accurate? Or, you know, it's like, I I know that I need tools to do that because yeah. it, it in my head, it's, there's so many conversations and they're going so fast. You know, it's been also um, super helpful for me, which doesn't, you don't have to make this choice across the board to get more clarity. But uh, my husband completely stopped drinking two years ago. And in the last two years, I've probably had a dozen drinks and not drinking for a minute. It was uh, not a minute for probably about four to six months. Yeah. It was hard because I would have those days where I was like, oh, I just want a glass of wine. And in my head, again. there is that thing that happens, your shoulders drop. There's like all those Pavlovian responses that are connected to drinking. Yeah. And, you know, that it was, you know, not ever like in a problematic way, a coping mechanism, but obviously one that helped not actually like talk about the things that were bugging me. Like, okay, they're just gone now. I had a glass of wine. It's great. And after the, the habit, got out of the way after a few months. If I drink something now, I'm like, that tastes like shit. Yeah. But it's made me have to be in touch with the emotion oh, part yeah. of it more. Oh, yeah. Which has just been huge. And that that it's become trendy not to drink is super helpful. I, yeah. It's it's funny because like my thing is food. So like, yeah. uh, you know, like I said, there's yeah, I rampant, rampant addiction in my family. <laughs> Mine showed up in food. So like when I don't like my feelings – I mean, I still love my cocktails, don't get me wrong, but I don't I don't feel like everything for me is about sugar and is about yeah. it quiets the voices and it's just like yeah. arr, 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 like feelings. Arr, arr. And what inevitably when I sort my food out and I get it like I, I do go to a program on and off and I in like when I get back on a food plan if I've been off, all the feelings that I've been avoiding just surface. And it, it's yeah. it's every time. It's just mm-hmm. very textbook. And so it's it's nice for me to have a place like journaling or seeing a therapist or something like that in order to process what's coming up. Because it's usually like anger or yeah. you know, there's just a lot. I think a lot of people don't haven't made that connection yet. And that's yeah. where a lot of the struggles come from. Like this is the thing that I'm channeling all my ex through. Um we do have a question from the mailbox. Ooh, We're going to go back mailbox. to our dysfunctional childhoods. Megan, if you would like to play the question from Maria. 
Hi, Mina. Um, thank you for listening. Um, what advice would you give teen girls who are going through um, similar things as you when you were a teen? Oh, that's the cutest little question. I, I love that it's a not adult human. Yes. I love it. And I think, Maria, I would start off by saying the fact that you had the courage and actually took the action to even call and leave a voicemail. Yep. You're probably leaps and bounds ahead of your peers because that takes guts and it takes awareness. So kudos to you. And I do, I I definitely want to hear your thoughts on this, uh, Robin. I think for me, like I remember uh, when I started my period, you know, my dad was married, I think, to his third wife. (laughs) And I used toilet paper for a hot minute because I was like, who do I talk to about this? I don't know what to do. But I think a lot of people, like you mentioned, Robin, your your sixth grade teacher, like finding if if you're not comfortable within the confines of your home or whatever it is, like reaching outside. Like my kids, it's very important to me that they have a village of people, yeah. and they have so many. And it, I'm making it easier for them because I'm creating that village. But if you don't have that being created for you in your home, taking the initiative to create that, you know, get a strong connection to a teacher, a friend's parent, something like that. So they can be the one to, you can go to if you don't feel like you can go to your parents. I think a lot of problems are when, you know, let's say you're at a party and you're 17 and your ride home is drunk and you're like, I don't know what to do. I can't call my parent because I'll get in trouble. I want there to be someone to say, I can call X. Yeah. He or she will know what to do. They will know what to do. Um, and ideally, like, I want to be that parent for my kids. Um, but I think a lot of people don't aren't in that situation. Yeah. That's great. That's great advice. I also think, and and this won't be helpful right now, but I do think that there's a certain amount of understanding and trying to remember that it does get better. It mm-hmm. does get better and it will pass. You know, it when when I had kids, like one of my friends said to me, just, this is your new normal. And she said, just remember everything is a phase. The good stuff is a phase and the bad stuff is a phase and it will pass. And I think sometimes like I, I remember, and this is like a little, this is a little dark, but you know, I remember at night that was always the worst. Like the darkness was always like, it just, when I felt the most alone, especially as a teen, Mm -hmm. when I felt the most like, I don't know, my life is never going to get better. And, and, Every morning the sun came up and every morning I got a little closer to the freedom that I needed to get out of my house and to, to go to, to kind of escape in a way. And you just, sometimes you have to just ride out the darkness, but like to Mina's point, the support is so critical. You know, I think that technology in a lot of ways has been not great for us, you know, all mm-hmm. of the the negative stuff. And, but I, you know, you might have access to support groups online that, that would be free and your parents wouldn't have to know you're going to them. You know, there's like, there's support that's out there or clubs or groups, like whatever the thing is that you're going through. Just find something that you can connect to. Yeah. Find people who are where you are as well as mentors and people that you can talk to that so that you don't feel so alone. I think that would have been helpful. Well, and I think that what's terrifying as a parent is the the suicide rate oh in young kids, how much it's gone up, and they have to feel so alone to get to that point. So just reaching out to whoever you can, and it's so hard to have perspective at that age. Yeah. But, you know, the, the the boy who dumped you, 
you are not going to give two hoots about. You are not. In a year. In what, it, it's just – and one of my biggest epiphanies I had, this was – I was probably 15 or 16. And I was that kid that like argued back and fought back. And like you're saying, you'd slam the door. So he'd – you know, she'd slam yeah. the door. And my dad and I would go at it. I mean, round, round for round, day after day. And it was when I was like 15 or 16. I don't know why, but I was like, if I stop yelling, he can only yell for so long before he looks crazy. Yeah. And it worked. And it's worked into my adulthood. And, you know, these are patterns that my dad had, you know, from growing up that he learned and that I was feeding into. And it completely changed our relationship. And I think a lot of times we expect the parent to, you know, to make the change. Yeah. But they may not be in a position where they can see that. And I don't know why or what at the time. And I was like, let me try this. If I stop yelling, let's see. And it's just, it just, you can't keep yelling at someone if they're just not if they're saying quiet. anything. Yeah. If they're quiet. Um, which, you know, as an adult, it, it can lend itself to poor communication because I will just turn off. Yeah. But at the time, it was very helpful for our relationship and what we needed because it would give us both time to process and then actually have a conversation about things. Yeah. But like, like you said, Mina, like Maria, it's so wonderful that you were able to reach out. Like, I don't think I had the ability to ask for any help until years, years, years later. And that mm-hmm. when you ask for help, it, it arrives. So yeah. you just keep asking for help. Just find your people. Yeah. Good luck. So you guys, season two of Well Adjusting is out today. So what can people kind of expect from this new season, Robin? Oh, it's it's so it's so good. I mean, we, we talk to talk to a woman who wants to be in relationship, but she is just just putting up walls all over the place. We talk to um, someone who newly accepted their um, pansexuality, but also had a diagnosis for um, being neurodivergent, being um, having autism. Um, we talked to someone who experienced uh, her brother committed suicide, and she's still dealing, like years later, with the whys mm-hmm. and the unanswered questions, and 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 bringing her family back together. I mean, they're just we have so many important. Um, and incredible conversations uh, that are coming up in the season. I'm so proud of the show. I'm I like, and I just, after, I think sometimes, I mean, I don't know if you feel this way, Mina, like I think of all of my guests as like friends. I'm always like, oh, I, yeah. I'm thinking about them all the time and they just did a thing and then they went on their life. And I'm always like, oh, yeah, what they're doing, you know? No, I've already decided, yeah. Robin. I'm like, we could be like monthly guests on each other's oh, podcast. It'd be great content. Obviously. Like, okay, let's talk about the, the zero to six, the tween years. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll go by uh, half decade and talk about all the traumas and how we've grown from them. Well, I am super excited to listen to season two of Well Adjusting. Thank you so much for coming on. I do feel like we are kindred We're spirits. We're best friends now, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> yes. So um, thank you guys all for listening. You can find Well Adjusting wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave me a question or an anecdote. The link for both is in the show notes. Thank you again, Robin. And I will see you all next Tuesday. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.